Hey, we're in a new series uh, today. We're starting off in, uh, we started last week. It's in Matthew chapter 18. It's called Let's Go Deeper. And uh, what we're doing, we're talking about, this is the very first mention of this thing that we're doing today called the church. And specifically, what we have is we have our creator, God made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking to us, speaking to you and me about what it means to be the church, about what it means to be in community, to be in fellowship with each other, to have really redeeming relationships with one another. And so this is such a powerful passage, and we're kind of going through Matthew chapter 18, verse by verse, for the next few weeks. And so this question comes up, you know, how should the life of Jesus in us and among us affect or impact our interpersonal relationships. You know, God made us for relationship. The very first thing that God ever said about uh, the man was, it's not good for the man to be what? Alone. And so here we are. We know that we need to be in relationship with other people. And so what is that supposed to look like? How's that supposed to work itself out? And so I've asked for a volunteer today to help us with this passage. Is Clayton, where's Clayton? Clayton here? Clayton. Yeah, come on up here, buddy. Awesome. Matthew chapter 18. This is Clayton. I'll, I'll, I'll give Clayton a hand. He's missing out on the first couple of minutes of Children's Church. Have a seat up here, buddy. Oh, wait, you know, hey, but don't fall, okay? I would, man, that's a lawsuit. Wow, okay, don't fall from there. All right. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to meet Clayton. He's, he's just a super, super young man. And as you read Matthew chapter 18, I want you to think about this. And I said this last week, but remember what you were like as a child. Can you remember back that far? Can you remember when, what grade are you in, Clayton? Third. Third grade. All right. Can you remember third grade? You know, can you remember how you thought? You know, how you perceived the world? Uh, what was important to you? But more importantly, you know, how you related to people. Do you remember how you related to people back in those days? Uh, it's really remarkable how different we become about the time we hit sixth and seventh grade, isn't it? Wow, it really is. So thinking about Clayton, third grade, Look at this passage. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You think, why would they ask that question? Jesus had told them back in chapter 17 that he was going to be arrested. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be leaving. He's going to die. And so now they're wanting to know, okay, who's going to take that spot? Who's going to be the new alpha male amongst this thing called the Jesus movement? They want to know that. And so look what the Lord does here. He called a little child to him. It was probably one of Peter's sons, a lot of scholars think, probably about Clayton's age. And he placed the child among them and he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become more like Clayton, you're never going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And uh, therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one, such as Clayton, in my name welcomes me. And if anyone causes someone like Clayton, those who believe in me, to stumble, it'd be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come. But woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. But it's better to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See to it that you not despise 
one of these little ones like Clayton, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Isn't that a great thought? All right. Thanks, Clayton. Get to go to Children's Church now, buddy. Good job. All right. Appreciate you very much. All right. Did good. Yeah, yeah. Got to give him a hand. Did good. Okay. So the title today is The Four Catalysts of Real Community. My apologies to Gina. We had another title. It's in your bulletin. I changed it Friday night. I was working on this Friday night, okay? But I received a text from a woman in our church this week, and I was doing sermon prep. And I want you to listen to this text because this was, I thought this was just so applicable and appropriate to what we're talking about today. She said, uh, a high school friend of mine died a couple of weeks ago. She had a super hard life fraught with results of poor decisions. Not sure if she had Christ or not. She had her version of Christ to be sure. So I've pondered life and death many times this summer. Lost people or immature Christians live this life so differently than mature Christians. I don't know if truer words have ever been spoken. Lost people or immature Christians, the Bible calls them carnal Christians, live this life so differently than mature believers. You see it, I see it. In our extended families, in our circles of friends, uh, in our co-workers, people who give their spiritual life second place, they don't grow, they don't mature spiritually beyond spiritual childhood. And I want you to think about this. I don't mean this as an insult to somebody like Clayton, but with children, there's a certain fragility to their lives, isn't there? There's a vulnerability in a child's life. And like little children, those people who never grow strong in spirit, they never mature spiritually, then they're like little children in the world. And this world is a battle. And we know this. And it's so hard to watch again and again and again these people who don't have spiritual resources, spiritual strength, just get smacked down by the world that we live in. Now, I'm fully aware that sitting here today, there are people who are not making their spiritual life a priority. Spiritual growth is not a priority for you. I understand. You know, the intangible things in life, things like relationships, things like your spiritual growth, those things are harder to give attention to, you know, when you're like, man, we got it, you know, we got, you know, we got practice, we got school, we got stuff. I'm trying to get a promotion at work. I understand that. But look at verse 7. Look at verse 7 where Jesus says, and I'm, I'm going to read the New American Standard here. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. That word woe has something to do with grief. So what Jesus is saying is that this world is going to give you grief. And there's no way to get around it. It's going to happen. These stumbling blocks, these things that trip you, they're inevitable. You know, I've been in ministry for over 30 years, and I've seen calamity strike so many families. And by far the worst is when a loved one dies unexpectedly. And then for Christians who have real fellowship, they have relationships with other mature Christians, there's like an army of help. And I always, always, without fail, I always hear the same comment. Those people tell me something like this, how do people without the Lord make it? 
I just have to tell you the honest answer is that they don't. They don't. In the aftermath of the woes of this world that Jesus says are inevitable, you'll see things that come like addictions, mental health crises, a divorce. Good people, good people. But the resources just aren't there. And I just recently got to see a family I hadn't seen in many, many years. And they lost a teenage daughter. Uh, in fact, it was right, before, uh, right around 9-11. It was 21 years ago. And it was soul-crushing. I mean, I don't know if I've ever known a family that were as committed to their kids as these two parents were. And the moment they got the news, they were smothered in Christ-like love and care and compassion. It was awesome to watch. Why? That happened because they had invested themselves in the small group that they'd been a part of for many, many years. And when the woe of this world came, they had a community of Christians around them who were strengthening them, who were healing them, who were holding them up when life had knocked them down. And I was so blessed to see them a few weeks ago and talk to them because they're doing so well. You know, I, all I can, you know when, when I think about this family, my, my picture is grief. But when I saw them last week, it was joy in the midst of a pretty grief, grievous situation, by the way. But what's happened is we were talking about this. They, they've taken that woe that the world brought to them and they've turned it into a work for the Lord. They now have a ministry to parents who've lost teenage children. It's incredible. It really is. When the stumbling blocks come, what resources are you going to have to face them? What inner strength will you have developed within the community of God's people? All right. What, uh, who will you have in your life to face that with you? Do you have a community? Look at this scripture up on your screen, Acts 2.42. When the church first was formed, all right, the Holy Spirit comes in and Peter preaches to a crowd. And the Bible says 3,000 people said, yes, I want to trust Jesus to be my Savior. It was awesome. They all got baptized. And then what did they do? <clears throat> the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, their shared meals, and their prayers. Look at that word community, koinonia in the Greek. That word is used 17 times in your New Testament. It's a major theme, and it's often translated fellowship. It translated also in a couple other places about making a contribution, like a financial contribution to somebody. But the key concept behind this word is this idea of interdependence. Interdependence. That's why the phrase, the body of Christ, is such a common theme in your New Testament because all the parts of your body are, are interdependent on one another. And so I'm going to give you a definition for community because I know we, we throw that word around a lot in church life and we're going to use it a lot in the next few weeks as we look through Matthew 18. But what is community? It's engaging in an interdependent relationship with other believers, relying on each other to contribute to one another's needs. The spiritual needs, absolutely, but also the emotional and the social and the physical needs that we all have at different times in life. And so here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is trying to tell his disciples, hey, we want to be great. And without missing a bling, all right, missing a beat, Jesus says this, that greatness, gentlemen, 
is creating a community that is a catalyst for spiritual maturity. That's what life's all about. If you want to be great, gentlemen, be like one of these little children and have the characteristics of a child, you need to take care of the children, create a community that's a catalyst for spiritual maturity. And so on that note, I asked Eddie and Justine, if they don't mind to come up here, I asked them to come up because uh, I wanted to talk to them a little bit about something they've been, they, they, they moved away. I don't, a lot of you don't, may not know Eddie and Justine, but they moved away. Uh, they moved to Ponca City for a while, and then they came back. And uh, there you go, guys. And uh, yeah, yeah, y'all don't fall off either. We, yeah. Okay. There we go. <laughs> and uh, they were gone for a little while, and they came back. And uh, then they were just telling me about uh, just an incredible small group experience they had. And they said, hey, we want to bring this to Faith Covenant. We really do. And so it's called Rooted. And a lot of you have heard about Rooted, and we've been talking about it a little bit. But I just kind of wanted them to kind of share their heart a little bit about uh, what that small group experience was. And so with that said, I want to ask them a couple of questions and uh, kind of get a little bit of a discussion going. So thank you all so much. How are you feeling, by the way? Feeling pretty good? Mm -hmm. Super, super. Man, and you did a great job playing drums this morning, bro. Thank you. You did really good. All right, end up here back there. Okay, number one, tell us about your rooted small group experience back in Ponca City. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes. So uh, when we went to Ponca, we were, we finally found the church that we felt at home in, and they were starting small groups, and uh, they were doing a study called Rooted which you guys have heard a hundred times the past few weeks. But um, going through that, that study, it was just different. I mean, I've been in Bible studies, small groups, stuff like that before. Um, it was just different than the ones I've gone before. Every week kind of hit on a different topic and starts kind of slow and basic and um, just kind of builds and builds and builds. But just, you know, you'll go, one week we'll talk about service, one week we'll talk about giving, one week we'll talk about fasting which no one likes to talk about, but it's not fun. But like Jesus did it, it's, it's a cool, powerful thing. So we went through it once, um, being led by a, by a leader. The next semester, that set of leader asked us to lead our own group, so we then led that group, and um, it was just a really awesome experience. And I'm excited I'm going through it again. This will be my third time this semester going through it, and I'm not... Uh, I know I'm going to learn more from it. I'm going to pick, pick up something new out of it. So I'm just really excited about it. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, it starts off with some basic stuff, and we both got caught up in thinking we know everything. Um, but then when you really dig into it, like we walk away like learning or getting more appreciation um, for like what Jesus did and for our faith. So even the what you consider basic stuff, if you've grown up in church your whole life, uh, was still impactful to us, and we still learn every week something new. Yeah. So what was the most, uh, like you might say, impactful or challenging aspect of being in a rooted small group for, you, for each of you personally? Yeah. Um, I think of two things. I think of our priority in small groups and kind of what we thought was the purpose or our responsibility in a small group. Um, so when we were here before, um, we were in some small groups, and we would go as long as we didn't have anything better to do, and we felt like it. <laughs> and that led us to go pretty much most of the time, so it was super easy to 
pat ourselves on the back of how amazing we are because we usually go. Um, and we just had really great leadership that challenged us and forced us to think through where does this fit in our priorities. And so it just something switched in our mind and um, we went from going, if it works out, to on this day at this time, a small group, we'll do something else if it works out. Um, and just that mentality was a huge game changer. And it kind of plays into the second part of like, what's the purpose or what's our responsibility? Um, so on Sundays, we get to just show up and sit down. You prepare a lesson and read the Bible and most of us probably pay attention. Uh, <laughs> I hope, yeah, we'll see. Usually, yeah. usually, how amazing we are. Um, and that's kind of how we treated small groups. We're just gonna show up, we'll watch a video or we'll let someone talk to us. Um, and then that's it. Um, and, and it's really forced us to, to think what was, you know, the church in Acts and how did that church look like and what's the point and responsibility of small group and we had to be prepared and we had to read and we had to think and we had to discuss and it caused us to just talk about different stuff we read like randomly in the day and we would go to small group with stuff to say and we learned how to read the Bible honestly and like how to gain stuff from it and we realized like that was the real purpose of small group was to come together with believers in a smaller setting and discuss mm. and discern what the Bible has to say mm. and not just show up. Um, you know, Paul describes it as getting fed milk. Um, so that's kind of, you never mature and you never get to like really read and think for yourself. So uh, that was really the most challenging for me. Yeah. And the most the impactful thing that came out of the for me was whatever it was, either the leader, the study, my own mind, something, that's when I finally started uh, developing a daily habit of prayer and Bible reading, for the most part, no perfect, but uh, growing up my whole life, like you always hear, you're supposed to do that every day. Everyone has heard that you're supposed to do that every day. It's easy to say that. It's hard to actually do it. Um, so Rooted has something for you to read every day during the study, like there's Five days a week, you'll read. It's like five or ten minutes that you're reading. It's not uh, <laughs> reading the whole Bible, don't worry. But that helps you build, that helped me build a habit to finally, even after the study, like to this day, I try to make time every day in prayer in the Word. That's awesome. And so, how did being in a rooted small group uh, impact your relationships? You know, your relationships with other Christians, your relationships within your church family. How did it impact that? Well, Whenever we lived in Borger, neither of us are from Borger, neither of us are from Texas, so whenever we first lived in Borger, we finally felt pretty much at home when we found a church and we found a small group. So whenever we went to Ponca, that's what we were looking for really quickly because we knew that was in the past what led us to kind of feel, feeling at home. So it helped us a lot um, being in that small group in Ponca. We finally um, make deeper connections, make deeper relationships, like in theory, we all want to know everyone of us in this church. We all want to, like everyone wants and should want to know everyone. And, but like being able to get on a smaller scale, a smaller group of people, get to know them better, know them more about their lives, their struggles, um, learn about their successes, that it, um, it just helped immensely. I mean, Kaylee and Cody, who were here two weeks ago, and Cody was a guest speaker, they were our leaders um, whenever they led us through Rudy. They were our leaders. And I still talk with Cody, and I still tell him 
So I'm basically, whether he likes it or not, he's still my leader. I still go to him. And <laughs> he's basically helping us get this rooted semester going. I've told him um, he just needs to give me every resource he has, and I'm just going to copy everything he did. But it, it just builds really good relationships that, uh, that last and help, help us grow. And it was, it was just awesome. Yeah. I think, too, our relationships in the church got really strong because we started focusing on the people outside of the church, um, which is something Eddie and I never did. We were really comfortable going to church and making church friends and living our church lives um, and never really spreading the gospel. And so Rooted was really impactful on us on, no, like our whole point of being here is to spread the gospel. We did that through the relationships we built in Rooted, and it was really cool to just come together every week and talk about like who we talked to and prayed for and invited and stuff. And like our group had just all sorts of different ages of people, so we were not really in the same spheres of influence. And like we got to come together and be that support system while we each went to our own hmm. circles. It was super cool to be a part of. That's awesome. You mind to share that story you shared me one time about the guy at work that you like determined and yes, yeah, okay. that that was really funny. That so, was really good. But it's also cool. The semester that we were going to lead, Cody was challenging all the leaders to go out and invite people to your group or to join your small group. Not just in the church, but like even especially not at church. Use it as an outreach. So there was a, a couple that was new to the city, newer than us. So I knew they were in kind of the same situation. We were, we were new recently, didn't know a lot of people. And I really felt like I was supposed to go invite this guy to my church. The only problem is I never talked to him ever before. I never spoken a word to him. So I was gonna go like, first thing I was gonna say to him was come to my church. So I felt really nervous. It's not easy to do, I won't lie. Um, so he worked, he, works at, he worked at the refinery where I did. So I walked by his office, he was in there, and I just kept on walking because I was really afraid. So then I like summed up some more courage, turned back around and walked by it again. And then I kept going again, because I was still really afraid. And then finally, I turned back around, and I actually went into his office, and I told him, like, introduced myself, said, like, I know you're new to Ponca, told him my name, and uh, I asked if he had a church, if they found a church, if they were looking, if they were interested in church, all of that, and invited him to our small group. And he replied, oh, that sounds awesome. My wife and I were just talking about how we want to find a church where they're doing small group, where we can get involved in our community. That sounds like literally exactly what we are looking for, and uh, it was all—it I mean, was all God. Uh, it was—it was crazy. That guy is now leading the group that we left whenever we left Honka. He and his wife are now take like leading that group. When we left, we had like a dozen people in it. We left, and a whole bunch of other people left for one other reason or another. Nothing bad. So I was talking to him, and he was telling me all the different people that left, and I was worried like that I left him behind with this group of. Like two people, like him and his wife or something. And he said, no, they had actually rebuilt it all the way back up to 12 people with just like five other different couples that were brand new to the church or brand new to Ponca. And it was just still like carrying on and growing. And because it wasn't us, like we're not the, we're not magic or all powerful or anything. It's God. Like God was just, Amen. that work, he's doing just awesome stuff. And uh, yeah, it was, it was really awesome. So invite people. It's really scary. Even if it takes like three times, 
<laughs> even if you're not leading, invite them. Like small groups are great place yeah. to get people to hear about God. Amen. And hey, on that note, real quick, just uh, tell us about the name tags. Yeah. Okay, so anyone in here who's wearing this is a small group leader. We are starting one week from today is the is week one of this semester of Rooted. And we'll quit talking about it because we're going to start it next Sunday. Um, so if you have <laughs> any questions, find any one of us who are wearing one of these. If you're not signed up, I really encourage you to. It's really awesome. Um, you're gonna you're gonna get something out of it. I know you will. So sign up in the back in that corner. Um, and a week from tonight, a week from this Sunday in the evening is is week one, and it's gonna be everyone who signed up for a small group will be together that first Sunday. And then from that point forward, you'll go and you'll do your own day of the week. So if you've signed up for like a Tuesday, after week one it'll always be on Tuesday. But the first week's kind of a a big congregational church-wide kickoff. Um, you'll get a hear me attempt. I'm not going to say preach, but talk to you guys for a while. So, so come, come, come see that. It'll be fun. That'd be awesome. Thank y'all so much. Man, y'all are great. We love y'all. We really do. So good. So so good. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, hey, Michael, would you mind to turn down the AC? Somebody sent me a text while we were talking that it's hot in here. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? You mean it's cold in here or it's hot? Somebody said it's hot. I got a text from a church member that we're in community with that it's hot in here, okay? So, <laughs> that's so great. Hey, just real quickly, uh, you know, when we look at this passage, and I just so appreciate Eddie and Justine's heart. That, you know, it's not just like, hey, we want to build rooted small groups. They really want... They want you to experience what they have experienced. And it was just biblical fellowship. It was koinonia. They experienced it. And it's just really changed their world. It's kind of rocked their world. And they really want everybody to experience it. We do too. Come back to Block Party tonight. If it's a little bit too sudden for you, look for the name tags at Block Party. Build some relationships. Uh, we'd love for you to do that. But hey, real quickly, look at this. Look at what Jesus does here. Using children as a template, he's going to give you and I four commands. We're going to get as far as we can today. But he teaches us there, there are four catalysts for this kind of community that we're talking about. All right? If we want to be mature spiritually, we want to have people in our life, you call them like, I know one of our elders calls them the 3 a.m. people. The kind of people you can call at 3 o'clock in the morning, and man, they're going to be there for you. All right? I was listening to Rick Warren in a podcast this last week. I don't know if you knew, his son committed suicide about a year ago. And he said that a group of people that were in his small group at church, a group of guys came and they brought a little chimney kind of thing and they sat in his driveway all night, the night that that happened. From, from the time they got the news, which is probably about 9 or 10 in the evening, till daylight the next day, they just sat in the driveway. They, they just wanted to be there. They just wanted to know that, hey, we're here for you. All right, 3 a.m. people. Do you have those kind of people in your life? And Jesus, look at verse 3. He says, first of all, you've got to become like children. That's humility. You want to, remember verse 5, he says, you want to welcome children. That's accessibility. Verse 6, he says, don't cause the children to stumble. That's integrity. And then he says in verse 10, don't look down on the children. Some of you have the in a Bible version, it says, don't despise the children, and that's impartiality. So the first one is this, humility. And we talked about this a little bit last week because he, he calls a child up and he says, you have to become like children. This kind of humility, this kind of vulnerability if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
And so what Jesus is doing is he's actually kind of celebrating the vulnerability of a child. And Jesus always talked about and showed humility both verbally and by example because it's the catalyst for the kind of community that you and I need in our lives. This is why 1 Peter 5, 5 says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. I talked about humility a lot last week, and so I don't want to go and belabor that point here today, Uh, but probably the greatest sermon ever preached on humility, and I say that very humbly, okay? So go check that out. Check that out on YouTube, okay? Number two is accessibility, all right? When he says in verse 5, whoever welcomes a little child like this welcomes me, And the children now that Jesus is talking about are those who are little in their faith. They're young in Christ. That's who he's speaking about, young in spirit. And the word welcome there means literally to take the hand, to open up your hand. Imagine an adult opening their hand and taking a child's hand. And in the life of the church, we welcome other people into our lives. We grant them access to our life like Jesus did in Luke chapter 9. It says that Jesus went away from the crowds, but the people found him and they followed him. What did he do? Like, no, leave me alone. Get away from me. No. Hey, I'm accessible to you. He welcomed them and he taught them. And I should ask this question today. Are you welcoming other people into your life? You see, there are people in this church that need access to you. You say, well, Les, I don't know the Bible all that well. That's not what we're talking about. They need to hear your story about how your marriage made it through a really hard time. They need to hear your story about how God got you through a terrible time with your teenage son or daughter. They need to hear the story about how, you know, your work life was in shambles, but you somehow managed to make it through. They need to hear your story about how you handled the adversities, the woes of life, and they need your encouragement. And so, yes, in settings like Justine said a moment ago, where you discuss and discern. I thought that was so good. You discuss and discern. In that setting, that's where this happens. You grant people access to your life. You take the hand, so to speak, and you offer things to people that no one else can. There are so many of you who have had God give you things that he's never had to give me, and they need you. And so Jesus also says here, when you grant these young lives spiritually access to your life, then you're giving Jesus access to yours. Whoever welcomes one of them welcomes me. And if you want to experience the presence of Jesus in your life, be in community. Give other Christians access to your life. Another one is integrity. Integrity is a catalyst for community. You know, I got to take the students on a Labor Day getaway last weekend. We went uh, over to Synergy, and I had the kids all pay 20 bucks. And it's like, hey, we're going to go to the movie, and they're going to give you a ticket for some games. And then after that, we're going to go to Freddy's Steak Burger. We're just going to eat, and you got 10 bucks. Get whatever you want to get. <clears throat> and so, you know, Freddy's has this incredible ice cream. And uh, one of our sixth grade boys, uh, this is like his very first youth trip, okay? And his first youth ministry trip. And he comes up to me, he goes, so could I get like an extra large ice cream and extra large french fries with my 10 bucks and that's all? I was like, sure, man, knock yourself out. And it was like, <laughs> boom, 
boom. <laughs> like, whoa, what? What? I can have french fries and ice cream? Just like ladies, by the way, the men at steak night having meat and cinnamon rolls. The same thing, okay? <laughs> same principle, okay? But I have to tell you, after I told him that, I kind of felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because <laughs> the scripture came to mind, where Romans 14, 20, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food, you know? So <laughs> it's wrong to cause anyone to stumble. Look at this next section here, verse 6 through 9, where Jesus says, and I'm just going to paraphrase a little bit, if you were to cause one of these little believers, these people who are young in the faith to sin, it would be better for you to have a large rock torn around your neck and be thrown into the deepest part of the sea. And he says, if your eye is going to cause you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand is going to cause you to sin, cut it off because you don't want to endanger yourself with the fire of hell, fire of hell and miss out on eternal life. And a lot of people have read this passage over the centuries and said, what on earth was Jesus saying? If I have sin in my life, should I, should I end my life now, you know, or should I mortally wound myself, you know, as if, you know, if you cut off your right hand, you couldn't sin with your left, you know, that kind of thing. What are we talking about here? It's a teaching tool. It's called hyperbole. You go to the extreme to make a point, but I can just see Jesus staring intently at these men saying, gentlemen, your daily life is deadly serious. Your daily life is deadly serious. And there are two aspects of what Jesus talks about here to consider. First of all, you have the immediate audience. We all kind of know who's sitting there listening to this, don't we? It's Judas. And that word causes to sin, by the way, it's a word group that where we get our word for scandal, you know? Whoever causes a scandal. And it's used six times, by the way, by Jesus in these next three verses. And it means to entice someone to sin, to cause someone to fall, to cause someone to leave the faith, to deconstruct their faith, which is rampant right now. And I really, moms and dads, I really want to encourage you to set aside time for that Sunday when Micah Green is going to be here because this is what's happening around us. There are so many voices coming across social media that are causing children to stumble. And so the immediate thing that Jesus is talking about here is people who knowingly scandalize the people who are spiritually vulnerable. They use the power of God's word to gain a following, and then they fleece the followers, shaking down the sheep for their personal gain, whether it's power, pleasure, money, possessions, whatever. Titus chapter 1, Paul warned Titus, there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk and they deceive others. They must be silenced because they are turning whole families away from the truth by their false teaching and they're doing it for money. Jesus says something like this, if it's in your heart to trip God's children for your own personal gain, then you're in terrible danger. If you choose to be a stumbling block rather than a stepping stone, you should expect dire consequences. Peter says this, by the way, Second Peter chapter 2, he said, you're going to have false teachers among you. He didn't say you might, he says you will. Many will follow their ways. They only want your money. And in their greed, they're going to exploit you by telling you lies. Children are very vulnerable to being exploited, aren't they? Their judgment spoken against them long ago is still coming, and their ruin is certain. Oh, man. 
but the second audience, as you might call the eventual audience. There's the immediate and there's the eventual. You see, you and I don't really get off the hook. We need to take our integrity seriously for the sake of the spiritual children around us. Children are fragile, all right? Um, the faith of spiritual children is fragile. And we dare not do anything that might cause someone who is fragile in the faith to fall. Let me say that one more time. We dare not do those things that might cause those who are fragile in the faith to fall. Romans 14, 13 says, Let us resolve never to put an obstacle or a trap, there's that word scandalon again, in, in another, in a brother's way. So what Jesus is trying to say to you and to me here is that your integrity is so critical and so important, not just in your spiritual life, but in the spiritual lives of others, it's worth radical measures, spiritual surgery, whatever it takes to remove the heart of flesh and have a heart, I'm sorry, a heart of stone and have a heart of flesh, remove that from your life. Now, I know we live here in West Texas, and some of you are getting a little bit bowed up right now, like, well, what I do with my life is my business. Nobody else's business. That is not what it means to be in community with other believers. I want you to think about this before we leave today. If you've asked Jesus to forgive your sins and save your immortal soul, that attitude is not an option anymore. What I do with my life is my business. If you've said, Lord Jesus, I need you to save my soul, then you were spiritually reborn. And at the moment you were reborn, you were given a spiritual duty, a spiritual duty. Romans 14, 7 says this, for none of us live for ourselves alone. We really need to let that sink in for a couple of minutes. So when we go to hope in a couple of weeks, none of us lives for ourselves alone. Whatever you're watching on TV, None of us lives for ourselves alone. When you go to the Morley movie theater, none of us lives for ourselves alone. None of us do. The way you talk, the things that you do, none of us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. You see, we die to things, don't we? You know, like when we became a parent, we, you know, those of us who, who've been parents, we know that we, when we had children, there were certain things that we just died to. There are certain things you don't get to do anymore. There are certain, certain things you don't get to maybe enjoy the way that you used to. There are certain things that you die to, or at least you should if you're a good parent. And so you don't live to yourself alone. You know, like, hey, I get to do whatever I want to do. Nor do you die to yourself alone. When you come to Christ and you die to certain things, it's not just for you. You're doing it for so many others. For so many others. And if we die, we die for the Lord. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. You see, when I ask Christ to be my Savior, I have to look at my life through a different lens. How will this thing that I do affect the rest of the body of Christ? And how does my life affect the church? You know, I was reading one of my favorite authors, and he said this. He said, whether we live or die is not the important thing. The important thing is that we belong to the Lord. And that's what we ought to remember in our relationships with one another. We belong to the Lord. We are brothers and sisters. 
We are servants of the Lord, and he has the right to change us. And the last one, the fourth one, is impartiality. Look at verse 10. Jesus says, see to it you don't look down on the little ones. Don't look down on the little ones, because they're angels. See the face of my Father in heaven. That word look down on literally means to, to think little of or to disregard. It's really easy to ignore children sometimes, isn't it? All right. And he's saying, don't look down on a fellow believer because the very angels of heaven see the face of God. The angels of heaven are watching God's face saying, what do you want me to do? I want to go help. I want to go serve. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 says, angels are ministering spirits that are sent to serve all of those who inherit salvation. And so Jesus is saying, why would you despise or overlook or disregard somebody you know, because of their outward appearance when there are angels in heaven that are eager to serve them. In the first century Roman world, social status was so prominent and so important. There was rich, there was poor, there was slave, there was free. And then it comes along the Christian community where there was this impartiality that was inspired by the example of Jesus. God, made, God became flesh and dwelt among us and took the form of a servant, even to the point of dying on a cross. And so this just blew away the prevailing mindset of the day. And in the early church, a man of influence could find himself rubbing shoulders with a slave in a home group, you know. Uh, in fact, a slave could even be the elder in the church while the owner might be just a member of the church. And a slave owner might have to listen to a slave leading Bible study. And there was huge social pressure to kind of cave into the culture and show partiality to certain kinds of people. And we still do this today. Treat some kinds of people with, with honor and respect and treat other people with contempt or just ignore them, pretend they're not there. This is why James says in James chapter 2, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And he gives a great example. If a rich man comes into your church, brand new engineer, really important at you know, one of the refineries, something like that, and man, you just dote on him, hey, here's the best seat, et cetera, et cetera. And then if somebody else comes in and they don't look quite the same way or you know, they maybe don't you know, uh, look quite the same, or don't dress quite the same, you say, hey, you're here, sit at my feet. He said, have you not become an evil judge at that point? It's not readily apparent in the English translation, but there's a play on words in the Greek. Look at that last line up there. The word distinctions and the word judges share the same root word. And what James is saying is that when you judge between people, you become a corrupt judge. All right? You corrupt the community, the community of God's people. But in that first line, he says, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Living our lives with this radical impartiality, it's an act of faith. But when we welcome people into our lives, no matter what they might look like, no matter how different from us they might be, like Jesus did, and we have community with those people, there's a glory in it. There's a glory in that. Which is why Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, he died for all. So that all those who live would no longer live for themselves, trying to get ahead in the world, trying to be seen with certain people, things like that. But for him who died and was raised for their sake. So from now on, we regard no one according to 
worldly standards and values. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away and new things have come. Hmm. So as we leave today, I want you to think about this. The woes of this world, they do come. The woes of this world, they do come. Who will you be when they do? And also, just as importantly, who will be with you when they do? You see, spiritual growth is a group effort. It really is. And honestly, life itself, life has to be a group effort, a group effort. And I know we say, well, I got my family. You know, your biological family, very, very important. Your spiritual family, they will go on with you into eternity. Your spiritual family is really more significant in your life than even your biological family. And so we all need to ask ourselves this question today. Am I, because of my impartiality, my integrity, my accessibility, and my humility, am I a catalyst for community among God's people? All right. Let's bow our heads today for just a moment. And I want to ask you to think about this today. All right. When you think about those four catalysts, those four character qualities that Jesus tells us all to aspire to, when you look at those, I just want to ask you to think about this. If you're scoring 75%, yeah, I've got three out of four. Man, is that going to be enough? Is that, going to be, is that going to be enough to bring glory to God, but also to bring good into your life? You say, well, I, I'm, I'm getting 50%. I'm batting 500. Is that going to be enough? You know, because I don't, I, don't, I don't see the Lord there kind of giving us options. Hey, try to, do, try to do this as much as you can. Now, he really challenges you and me to be like Clayton, to be like children, but also to, to welcome them and to, and to make sure we have integrity before them and to do all these things within the body of Christ to, to build up the body, to engage in real community. And so I just want to ask you to think about that today. Before we go, do you have these four things active, present, and working in your life? And if not, just ask the Lord to show you how you can be a catalyst for community, whether it's in the area of integrity, uh, impartiality, accessibility, humility, whatever it might be. Just ask the Lord to show you where that needs to be different in your life today. I'll be quiet for a couple minutes. I want to ask you to spend a little bit of time with the Lord before we go today, talking with him about that. Hmm. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much that you just continually, it just continues to just uh, amaze me, Lord Jesus, at just the, the depth of your, your teaching and your insight and your wisdom. And I just pray, Father, that, Lord, that for all of us here today, that we would just see our lives differently. We'd see our lives differently because of what 
you tell us. And so, Father, I just ask that for all of us here today, Lord, that you would just give us the humility of children, but, Lord, a, a heart for ch the, the children among us as well. And we ask this in Jesus' name today. Amen. Amen. All right.